Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today our subject is Anthony Arkwright. Anthony was based in the United Kingdom. He was born in 1968. He killed a total of four people and this took place on August 1988. I'll go through the facts of the case then I'll give you my own opinion. So if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit subscribe and you if you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit follow. Just going to go over some of the newspaper articles that I found. Anthony Arkwright was one of five children, all of whom were abandoned by their mother at an early age. Anthony had lived in various children's homes and local authority care from a young age. His entire childhood was very distorted and disturbed. Arkwright was known to police as a petty criminal and had previously served a 30-month youth custody sentence for burglary and disorder. He was frequently at odds with friends and neighbors. He had also served a 6-month jail term. Arkwright had boasted to friends that one day he would be as famous as Jack the Ripper. Indeed, while detained, he would often be found in the prison library reading stories about serial killers. After his release, he settled back into living in Yorkshire, and although he worked at a scrapyard, he was rarely there, normally out drinking or committing petty crimes. One of Arkwright's neighbors was Raymond Ford, who was severely depressed, an ill man who was a heavy drinker. He was a particular favorite target of Arkwright. He would often smash his neighbor's windows just for the fun of it or force dog feces through his letterbox. In mid-August 1988, Arkwright broke into the flat of Mr. Ford and stole a microwave oven and a valuable antique clock. Mr. Ford knew that Arkwright was most likely the suspect to have broken into his house and he reported his suspicions to the local police. After getting the sack from his job, working in a scrapyard due to a bad attendance record, Arkwright went crazy. He then went on a 56-hour-long killing spree that earned him the title as a mass murderer. So on Friday, the 26th of August, 1988, at 4.30pm, after he was fired from his job, Arkwright went straight to find his grandfather, whom he believed was in fact his father. This was a lie. And that he had been born in an incestuous relationship between his grandfather and mother. He attacked his 68-year-old Lithuanian-born grandfather named Stanislav Pudokas while he tended to his allotment in Ruskin Drive. Arkwright stabbed him in the neck, severing an artery, rendering the old man almost instantaneously unconscious, and then attacked him with an axe and a lump hammer before locking the body in a nearby shed. He then went to his grandfather's house to steal the old man's savings of £3,000. There it is believed Arkwright killed his grandfather's elderly housekeeper, Elsa Conradate. But that case was never proved and never reached court and was ordered to lie on his file. That night, he visited several pubs in the area with local neighbours, showing his interest in becoming a public figure by dropping hints about his crime. Neighbours later reported that he was behaving a very odd way even for him. Saturday, the 27th of August, 1988, the next day, or like a few hours later. At 3am, he was now back in Yorkshire, and he entered the flat of his neighbour, 45-year-old ex-teacher Raymond Ford. Arkwright wanted revenge for being reported to the police 
for the original break-in where he stole the microwave. Completely naked and with a Prince of Darkness devil mask covering his face, Arkwright entered the flat and proceeded to stab Mr. Ford 250 times, plunging his knife into every part of his body. He gutted and disemboweled the corpse with surgical precision, which criminologists later said was remarkably similar to the techniques used by Jack the Ripper. Mr. Ford's body was discovered three days later at his house with his entrails draped around the room. Some of his internal organs were scattered around the corridor and hallway. Four hours later, Arkwright was arrested on suspicion of the burglary at Mr. Ford's house and was kept in custody before being released to appear at court the following weekend. At this stage, police had no idea that Arkwright had been a murderer only hours before. We move on to the next day, Sunday the 28th. Marcus Law died in a similar frenzy's attack at his home after an argument. Law was in a wheelchair after a motorbike accident and completely defenseless against Arkwright. He was savagely butchered, being stabbed over 70 times, before being left with cigarettes stuffed in his mouth and ears. He also had his eyes gouged out and cigarettes placed in the sockets. Arkwright said it was revenge for all the cigarettes Lee had scrounged. We now move on to Monday, the 29th of August. On a routine visit to see her son, Marcus Law's mother called round and discovered the horrific scene. Police were called, and they quickly realised that Arkwright was a suspect. A few hours later, he was picked up and arrested on suspicion of murder. At this stage, they had little evidence against Arkwright, and he denied the murder. Police wanted to speak to neighbours, in particular Raymond Ford who Arkwright had burgled days earlier. They went to Denham Road, where Arkwright lived, to conduct inquiries. PC David Winter went to the property of Ford in Denham Road, across the road from Arkwright's flat. There he discovered the horrific scene. Police now knew they were looking at double murder. After his arrest, Arkwright was held in custody. While there, he tried to show prison officers that he was mentally unfit. He was transferred to Rampton Secure Hospital, where psychiatrists assessed him and showed he was of sound mind. In 1989, in Sheffield Crown Court, Anthony Arkwright pleaded guilty for three murders and was jailed for life with a recommended minimum term of 25 years. He showed no emotion when sentenced and he has to this day never given any explanation for his actions. In 1990, a year later, the Home Secretary reviewed his case and imposed a whole life sentence. Anthony Arkwright is therefore on the Home Office list of prisoners never to be released and serving a whole life tariff. On the 19th of February 2014, Arkwright along with killer Arthur Hutchinson appealed against the whole life tariff imposed on them. Three High Court judges rejected the appeal, saying the government's whole life tariff was completely lawful. Now, I'm going to give you my own personal opinion. The police said that they couldn't find a motive, right? I don't think you need to look far than his childhood. His mother abandoned him when he was a kid. See, the beauty of parents is, of course, love and affection and all that jazz. But they, when you observe them as a child, that observing, them being there, seeing what they do, seeing them clean you and wash you and change your, change your diaper and provide for you, that plays a big part in helping you navigate the world. I don't think Anthony was ever taught between right and wrong. In fact, 
I think Antony was a byproduct of his environment. I mean, think about it. When you are in a desperate situation where you don't have money, that's one of the reasons why people commit crimes. One of the biggest reasons for crimes is inequality. Antony, who didn't want to work because he was never taught the value of work, which is why he got fired from the scrapyard he was working at, would go and he would commit crimes. And when he was in jail, he would then read about those who could relate to him. People like Jack the Ripper, who had no regard for anyone else because they were never given the faculties as children to navigate through this world. I'm not justifying Antony's behavior. I'm contextualizing Antony's behavior. Everyone has a context, no matter what they've done. But there is no justification for what Antony did. And I think when Antony got to a certain point in his life where he had enough, I don't think him losing his job was the reason why he got mad. I think that was the tipping point. He had no purpose. He had no place. Doesn't seem like he had many friends. Doesn't seem like he was able to maintain relationships with women or whatever his sexual preference was. And I feel like when he went to the pub and he started to boast or maybe give people clues of his crimes, I think it's because in his head, he saw himself as Jack the Ripper. Not necessarily Jack the Ripper, but just someone who's famous and someone who's gaining attention for their work. I don't think that Anthony ever felt any kind of appreciation in his life. I don't think anyone ever said to Anthony, How are you, Anthony? How's your day going, Anthony? You look good today, Anthony. Hey, Anthony, would you like to hang out? Like when I'm, when I'm on the weekends, I'm hanging out with my friends, right? I text them. They text me what time you're going to be here, etc. Normal conversation. Same for you. When you're with your co-workers or when you're with your friends in school or when you're with your, your loved ones, right? You do things. I don't think Anthony had anyone to ever share his life with because that's what life is. In life, your brain is a recording device where you share everything you take in. Consider your brain to be a share button like on Facebook or on YouTube. I mean that as a metaphor, but you understand what I'm saying, right? The One of the biggest things in life that we do is we love talking about ourselves and we love sharing our own stories to other people. If you're at work or if you're with a loved one or if you're with a friend and you tell them, hey, I did this, hey, I did that, hey, guess what's happening with me, hey, I got a promotion at work, etc., etc., you are sharing yourself and about yourself to someone else because you want to feel appreciated for what you've done. You want to be... You want to feel good about yourself. This is normal. I don't think Anthony had a single soul to whom he could cry on, to whom he could engage with, who made him feel special, who made him feel worthwhile. And I think he had some form of psychotic break. And I think when he lost his job, that was the tipping point. Again, I reiterate, he didn't go crazy because he lost his job. He went crazy because of the way his life went as he had nothing to live for. And he just took it out on Mr. Ford. Have a look at Mr. Ford again. He was a neighbor. He was depressed. Right? Vulnerable. If we go to Marcus Law, the guy in the wheelchair, again, helpless. So obviously, Anthony lacked a lot of confidence to which when he did go and attack his victims, he attacked those who were already vulnerable in society. And I do understand in British law, they do have a whole life order which means that you know you're never going to get out and to be f to be frank Anthony should never ever see the light of day again 
And although the police are right, we will never know for sure why he did this. I think his context and his environment, being alone as a child, having nobody during puberty. I don't mean because of puberty, but I mean at that age where you can start thinking of yourselves, going through different foster homes, etc. I can only imagine the amount of abuse he got. Then not really maintaining a proper job working in a scrapyard. Continuously drinking at pubs. Begging, hoping for some kind of friends. And then eventually realizing he's not going to get it. If you have a look at that timeline of events, that's enough to drive anyone crazy. And the majority of us would not do what he did. But Anthony was not the majority of us. Thank you for listening.